0: Welcome to the science of success. Introducing your host, Matt Bodner. Welcome to the science of success. I'm your host, Matt Bodner. I'm an entrepreneur and investor in Nashville, Tennessee, and I'm obsessed with the mindset of success and the psychology of performance. I've read hundreds of books, conducted countless hours of research and study, and I'm going to take you on a journey into the human mind and what makes peak performers tick with a focus on always having our discussions rooted in psychological research and scientific fact, not opinion. Today, you're going to learn why you should always ask that stranger to guard your bag at the airport, how a simple phone call increased donations to the American Cancer Society by 700%, how people get slowly roped into huge commitments without realizing it, and much more. If you missed last week's episode about Weapons of Influence, don't worry, I'll explain the series now, but you should go back and listen to it. For those of you who tuned in last week, here's a quick refresher on the Weapons of Influence series. This is the second of a six-part series based on the best-selling book, Influence, by Robert Cialdini. If you loved that book, this will be a great refresher on the core concepts, and if you haven't read it yet, some of this stuff is going to blow your mind. So what are the six weapons of influence? Reciprocation, which we talked about last week, and I highly recommend after you listen to this, go back and listen to reciprocation so that you can get all six of the weapons. Consistency and commitment. That's what we're going to talk about this week. Social proof. That's next week's episode. Liking, authority, and scarcity. Each one of these weapons can be a powerful tool in your tool belt and something to watch out for when others try to wield them against you. Alone, each of them can create crazy outcomes in our lives and in social situations, but together or combined, they can result in huge impacts. If you remember in episode one, we talked about the biological limits of the human mind. If you haven't listened to that episode yet, you should absolutely go back and check it out. In that episode, we talked about the automatic click were response that gets triggered when a cognitive bias comes into play. How evolutionarily beneficial traits and behaviors can sometimes manifest themselves in ridiculous outcomes. Like the example of a mother turkey taking care of a polecat, which happens to be its natural predator and enemy. These weapons of influence are exactly those kinds of cognitive biases. We're really going to get into the meat of some of the most powerful cognitive biases that cause human decision making to go haywire. These weapons of influence can be used to manipulate you if you don't know how to defend against them and can be part of your arsenal if you learn how to harness them. As Cialdini described weapons of influence in his book, Influence, each principle has the ability to produce a distinct kind of automatic, mindless compliance from people that is a willingness to say yes without thinking first. The topic today is weapon of influence number two, consistency and commitment. I will start with an overview of what consistency and commitment bias is. Then we will dive into a number of ridiculous research studies that demonstrate this behavior in the real world. And lastly, we will look at some of the practical implications of how you can use this in real life. So, what is consistency and commitment tendency? Here's how Cialdini puts it. Quote, It is, quite simply, our desire to be and to appear consistent with what we have already done. Once we make a choice or take a stand, we will encounter personal and interpersonal pressures to behave consistently with that commitment. He continues later in the book, To understand why consistency is so powerful a motive, we should recognize that in most circumstances, consistency is valued and adaptive. Remember, this all comes back to the biological limits of the mind. The traits and characteristics that were super valuable from an evolutionary standpoint, that's why he says it's adaptive, can often go haywire when they collide with modern day society. Okay, so what? People like to be consistent. Why does that matter? Well, that simple bias towards staying consistent with what you have said, and more importantly, with what you have done, because research shows that actions commit us more strongly at a subconscious level. Here's another quote from Cialdini about the importance of the commitment and consistency bias. Psychologists have long recognized a desire in most people to be and look consistent within their words, beliefs, attitudes, and deeds. This tendency for consistency is fed from three sources. First, good personal consistency is highly valued by society. Second, aside from its effect on public image, generally consistent conduct provides a beneficial, beneficial approach to daily life. Third, a consistent orientation affords a valuable shortcut through the complexity of modern existence. By being consistent with earlier decisions, one reduces the need to process all the relevant information in future similar situations. Instead, one merely needs to recall the earlier decision and to respond consistently with it. Within the realm of compliance, securing an initial commitment is the key. After making a commitment, that is, taking a stand or position, people are more willing to agree to requests that are in keeping with their prior commitment. End quote. Now let's dig into the research. The first experiment that we're going to talk about today is what I call the blanket experiment. This experiment was done in 1975. The control scenario, they had somebody sitting outside with... Their stuff, and they simply got up, walked away, and then they had a sort of staged theft where someone would come in, steal their bag, and run off. They did this 20 separate times, and on four occasions, somebody stepped in and did something to stop or prevent or say something hey, you know, what are you doing? Why are you taking that person's bag? Whatever. Then they did the experiment a little bit differently with a slight twist. And the results were dramatically different. In this instance, they had the same person come by, set down their bag, and then walk off, with the exception that they then asked somebody nearby to quote, watch my things, unquote. That was the only difference. Three words, watch my things. In that instance, 19 out of the 20 instances, the person who was asked became, as they say, an in influence, quote, virtual vigilantes running after and stopping the thief, demanding an explanation, often restraining the thief physically or snatching the object back, unquote. That's pretty amazing when you think about that. Simply by committing a total stranger to a simple sentence with a three-word question or a three-word statement, watch my things. They went from four out of 20 people stopping them from taking a bag to 19 out of 20 people stopping them and becoming, as they say, virtual vigilantes. That's what happens when you get people to commit to something very simple. They, they stay locked in and become extremely consistent. They want to stay consistent with their behavior. So that little toehold, that little question causes them to suddenly be chasing after a thief, which is something that can be incredibly dangerous, right? This next experiment is also pretty fascinating, and the results are astounding. This took place in 1980 in Bloomington, Indiana. A social psychologist named Stephen J. Sherman conducted this experiment. He had the control group where he simply called people and asked them, hey, would you be willing to spend three hours volunteering for the American Cancer Society going door-to-door collecting money? He then had the experiment group where they called people and asked them ahead of time as a hypothetical, would you be willing to spend three hours volunteering for the American Cancer Society? Not not wanting to be rude or uncharitable. People said, you know, and, and thinking about, yeah, of course, yeah, I'd, I'd be willing to do that. Yeah. Hypothetically. Then they had that group. They had them call again three days later and ask those people, hey, can you volunteer at such and such date? And can you actually go door to door and canvas for three hours for the American Cancer Society? They had a 700% increase in volunteers in their success rate when they did that. That's an astounding result if you think about it. A 700% increase simply by calling three days ahead of time and saying, hypothetically, would you be willing to volunteer? And people said, yeah, of course, yeah, of course. I love volunteering. I love helping people, you know, fighting cancer. Yeah, I'd, I'd in theory, I'd volunteer, right? That little tiny subconscious commitment days later resulted in a 700% increase in volunteers. It's fascinating. Another experiment, which I call the yard sign experiment, was conducted in 1966 by Jonathan Friedman and Scott Fraser. And I'll quote here from uh, Cialdini's influence. A researcher posing as a volunteer worker, had gone door-to-door in a residential California neighborhood, making a preposterous request of homeowners. The homeowners were asked to allow a public service billboard to be installed on their front lawns. To get an idea of the way this sign would look, they were shown a photograph depicting an attractive house, the view of which was almost completely obscured by a very large, poorly-lettered sign reading Drive Carefully. End quote. In that instance, only 17% of the people said yes to this request. This is where it gets really interesting. They conducted another study. They went door to door, same thing, asked people to display a ridiculously oversized drive carefully sign. But in this instance, 76% of the people said yes. From 17% to Find the right person meant for your business today with LinkedIn Jobs. You can pay what you want and the first $50 is on them. Just visit linkedin.com slash success. Again, that's linkedin.com slash success to get $50 off your first job post. Terms and conditions apply. What was the change? Two weeks before that, a door-to-door canvasser had come by and asked those homeowners to display a small three-inch sign on their driveway that said, be a safe driver. That tiny little commitment two weeks beforehand resulted in 76% of the people being willing to display a gaudy, ridiculous, oversized billboard on their front yard that said drive carefully. Whereas only 17% of the people who were asked to do that without a prior commitment did it. That shows you how powerful it can be when you commit something, when you commit to something, even in the smallest fashion, you kind of escalate into it and subconsciously want to be consistent with what you've done. And so you get roped into it or sucked into it. And all of a sudden you don't even realize it. It's completely subconscious process. And suddenly you've got a giant billboard on your front yard. Interestingly, Friedman and Fraser conducted a similar experiment where they had someone go door-to-door and get people to sign a petition about state beautification. They then came by a couple weeks later and asked again, would you like to put a giant drive carefully sign in your uh, your yard? And of those people, nearly half of them said yes. So it wasn't quite the 76% jump, it was from 17% to 50% or so, which is still a pretty astounding leap. That's still almost a tripling of the compliance rate. What caused people to do that? They speculated that because people somehow now viewed themselves as civic-minded citizens, because they had signed a simple petition weeks earlier about state beautification, something totally unrelated, they now were willing to put that billboard in their driveway. And as Cialdini says in Influence, Quote, what the Friedman and Fraser findings tell us then is to be very careful about agreeing to trivial requests because that agreement can influence our self-concepts, right? And that's why this is such an insidious tendency. In this instance, whether it's simply agreeing to a hypothetical, hey, i be, yeah, I'd be willing to volunteer my time in theory or signing a petition. Yeah, I'm in favor of state beautification or putting a tiny little sign in your yard again and again. These simple, innocuous commitments can result in an escalation that you get sort of drawn in and sucked in. And before you know it, you're doing all kinds of stuff because you've built up this image in your mind that you're trying subconsciously to stay consistent to. And that's why it's such a powerful cognitive bias. So those are a couple examples of the research and how different research studies have demonstrated this tendency. And it's been demonstrated many more times than that. But those are just three examples that I thought you would find really interesting. Now I want to talk about what are some of the practical implications of the consistency and the commitment bias. Here's a great quote from Cialdini that sums it up very nicely. Quote, It appears that the commitments most effective in changing a person's self-image and future behavior are those that are active, public, and effortful, end quote. So let's let's dig into a couple of these practical implications. The first is the concept of the the foot-in-the-door technique. And that's what they demonstrated with the yard sign experiments, is that A lot of times, if you can land or if you can get just this innocuous initial concession, you can kind of build on that and build on that and and suddenly get people to agree to things that internally to them seem very consistent with their self-image, but started with this tiny little commitment. And an example of that in negotiations is to give somebody a reputation to live up to. Here's a quote from Influence talking about Anwar Sadat, quote, One of the best at it was former president of Egypt, Anwar Sadat. Before international negotiations began, Sadat would assure his bargaining opponents that they and the citizens of their country were widely known for their cooperativeness and fairness. With this kind of flattery, he would not only create positive feelings, but he also connected his opponents' identities to a course of action that served his goals, end quote. And remember, public commitments are more powerful, right? That's why if you put something in your yard or you state publicly a position, it's really hard to back down from that. It's really hard to change course from that. And that's the research shows again and again that the more publicly committed to something you are, the more it's kind of ingrained in your identity. And hard won conclusions are the most valued as, as Childine says, and he actually uses the example in the book influence of uh, fraternity hazing, right? The more you kind of suffer and toil away for a conclusion or a piece of your identity, the more you want to stay sort of committed to that, the more it means something to you. And the harder it is to sort of see that blind spot in your mind to see that, that bias, that's, that's sort of sh- like shading your vision or your actions, Another really important takeaway is that the most effective commitments are focused internally, right? Not externally. And there's an experiment that is fascinating and a little, and in some ways shows how twisted psychologists can be. Um, but I call it a toy robot experiment. And in this experiment, they had 22 kids kind of come and visit the psychologist and they would leave the kids alone in a room with a number of different toys. And in the first example, the psychologist said to the child before they left them alone and then went around to watch them through a, through a one way mirror quote, it is wrong to play with the robot. If you play with the robot, I'll be very angry and we'll have to do something about it. And so they had, you know, they had five or six toys in there. All of them were, were pretty lame except the robot was like totally awesome. So the kids had kind of this natural incentive to go play with the robot or it was like a rubber duck and a bunch of other junk toys. Right. But in that survey, only one out of the 22 children played with the robot. They did another study where the psychologist simply said, it is wrong to play with the robot. That's it. They didn't have any threat. They didn't say they're going to be angry, whatever, right? In that research, in that, in that study, again, one out of the 22 children played with the robot initially. But this is where it gets really fascinating. In the scenario where they threaten the students, where they had this sort of external punishment, I'm going to be angry and do something about it. Six weeks later, they had the kids come back, put them in the same room, didn't say anything to them, and kind of let them play with whatever. The kids who had been threatened, 77% of those children went back and played with a robot when they were in the room six weeks later. That's because the external threat Didn't matter as much to them. It wasn't. They weren't as committed to it. They didn't feel the need to stay as consistent with it. The kids who had been told only it is wrong to play with a robot, no threat, kind of more of an internal motivation, something they internalized. Only thirty three percent of those children played with a robot. So less than half of the kids played with a robot in that scenario, and that demonstrates how much more powerful. A commitment is if it's internalized. Whether somebody's trying to get you to internalize a commitment, or you can get someone to internalize a commitment, it shows you that to be super powerful. If these commitments are internalized, they're you know in this instance more than doubly effective. Another practical application is what's called the lowball technique. That's what Cialdini refers to it as. And I'll, I'll read this quote from Influence. Quote: When calling one sample of students. We immediately informed them of the 7 a.m. starting time. Only 27% were willing to participate. Uh, He's talking here about an activity that they wanted the students to participate in. The quote continues. However, when calling a second sample of students, we threw a low ball. We first asked if they wanted to participate in a study of thinking process. And after they responded, 56% of them positively, we mentioned the 7 a.m. start time and gave them a chance to change their minds. None of them did. What's more, in keeping with their commitment to participate, 95% of the low-balled students came to the psychology building at 7 a.m. as promised. So that's kind of a strategy where you get somebody to commit to something and then you kind of layer in the bad news, right? And I'm sure we've all experienced that at one time or another in our life where someone has done that to us. That's an example of the commitment, the consistency tendency, right? And people knew off the bat that it was a 7 a.m. start time, only 24% of them were willing to participate. But as soon as they committed and 56% of them committed on the front end, then after they had that commitment and sort of were psychologically anchored into that outcome, then when the bad news starts rolling in, they were okay and they accepted it and they and they stuck with it. So just flipping the wording, flipping that situation around, what seems so trivial and something that you would never think about, can more than double the impact of, of what you're saying or what you're doing one of the other really fascinating takeaways that Cialdini talks about and why commitment is such an insidious weapon of influence is because commitment in many cases can be self-perpetuating. What he says is that commitments build their own legs and he he likens it to a uh, a table analogy. And basically the table starts out with sort of a single leg which is the the commitment that you know you agree to or you get someone to agree to but then it starts building all of these other justifications around it and and people actually end up building their own subconscious justifications for that commitment that have nothing to do with what they initially committed to and that the yard sign example is a perfect example that kind of demonstrates that, right? These people started to think of themselves as an advocate for safe driving or a a civic-minded citizen or whatever, and all of these other justifications start being built where the original justification doesn't even matter and can be taken away, and people will still behave that way. And that finding is found again and again in the research is that you can actually literally take away the justification that people had for changing their behavior or committing to a certain course of action. And in many cases, their commitment stays just as strong or sometimes even gets stronger once they've been sort of committed down that path. So how do you defend against the commitment consistency tendency? Here's how Cialdini handles it. Quote, I listen to my stomach these days, and I have discovered a way to handle people who try to use the consistency principle on me. I just tell them exactly what they are doing. This tactic has become the perfect counterattack for me. When my stomach tells me I am, I would be a sucker to comply with a request merely because doing so would be consistent with some prior commitment I was tricked into, I relay that message to the requester. I don't try to deny the importance of consistency. I just point out the absurdity of foolish consistency. Whether in response the requester shrinks away guilty or retreats in bewilderment, I am content. I have won and an exploiter has lost. End quote. So that shows us how important Consistency and commitment tendency is, and how it can have huge results in your life, and how these little simple commitments, something you would have never thought of or never even kind of thought about, can actually change your self image and your self perception and become these little seeds that get planted in your mind and, be, and, and almost become self perpetuating. Especially think about the toy robot example. If it kind of changes your identity and changes your self image, your self perception, It can shift the future direction of your behavior, even if you completely forget about the original source of the commitment. That's it for today's episode. Thank you so much for listening to The Science of Success. For more information, please go to scienceofsuccess.co, that's scienceofsuccess.co, and join our email list. If you sign up, you're going to get updated. Every time we do a new podcast, you're going to get information, updates, all kinds of awesome information. So go to scienceofsuccess.co, scienceofsuccess.co, and sign up for our mailing list. Thank you so much, and we'll see you on the next episode. Thank you so much for listening to The Science of Success. We created this show to help you, our listeners, master evidence-based growth. I love hearing from listeners. If you want to reach out, share your story, or just say hi, shoot me an email. My email is matt at successpodcast.com. That's M-A-T-T at successpodcast.com. I'd love to hear from you, and I read and respond to every single listener email.